Wonderful to be with you today in the house of the Lord. Who remembers the BlackBerry phone? Who had one? Your hands. Who's the... <laughs> That's kind of the point. They, you know, some called it the Crackberry. I think even uh, President Barack Obama called it the Crackberry. He was uh, famous for carrying it around everywhere he went. Those things were ubiquitous at one point, and I'm fascinated by the moment that research and development decided, you know what, the touch screen isn't really going anywhere. Uh, that's not the future. I think people want the little keyboard to type emails on. Uh, obviously, the wrong decision. Um, research and development's still around. They've shifted their business. But, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me, this day and age, things come at us really fast. And it feels like one decision, and you can really be on the wrong path real fast. I mean, who knows? Maybe the next sermon I give will be written by ChatGPT. I don't know. <laughs> Might be better than this one. I don't know. Um, but today we're talking about family, and this summer we've been looking at worship, we've looked at finances, we've looked at identity, we've looked at marriage, and our hope in all these different sermons has been to ground our lives in the gospel. And so today, I'd like for us to consider, I want to pull out a couple of threads from Scripture and help us think about how can we ground our family, our understanding of family in the gospel, so that as these things come at us so fast and furious, we don't get swept away by what's happening around us. And I want to do this, it's, you know, for, you guys are the 11. I told, my wife is uh, away with a friend right now, I told her, She's like, well, are you going to practice your sermon? I said, absolutely, at the 9 o'clock service. <laughs> so you get a little bit of the, you know, the better side of things. But I'll, what I hope to do is, is walk us through uh, our obligation as Christians to the created order, the way God originally designed and made things for us, and then also, but also look at where are things headed What's the new thing that God's doing? So look at those two uh, dimensions of time. God's created order and then the eschatological order. And then also I want to look at this from a spatial perspective. Our uh, kind of interior family life and then our, our life as it's related to our community and our neighbors. So we're going to give it a go. So first... Um, I want us to think about, and this is, this is some, some teaching that a, a former professor of mine shared with me. This is a framework that he started to think through some of the, the uh, things in Scripture with, and I found it very helpful. Hopefully you will as well. But uh, thinking of life as, uh, as Christians, we have this obligation to the created order which is the way that God originally intended life to be. You know this scripture very well. Genesis 1, God lays it out. He, he lays out what family will be. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and birds and every living thing. And so we see the whole world over this impulse to couple up and form families and bring forth children no matter what the culture or the ethnicity or the societal structure or whatever it is. We see this basic building block of family the world over. Right? And it makes sense. We all have a father and mother. This is how the human race and all animal species uh, propagate in the world. And so uh, it's this male and femaleness that brings forth that fruitfulness, as we all know. In Genesis 2, uh, there's an additional descriptor that also brings more fully into picture this idea of family when uh, the scriptures say, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. This is the created order that God intended from the beginning. And God gives additional specific details to Moses in the law that he intended to govern and rule and bring order to Israelite society. And so that's maybe the next part where we see family coming into a, a more full description and understanding as it relates to this created order. And I want to just bring forth this one scripture. There's many we could talk about. But Deuteronomy 6 is a very famous uh, scripture for the uh, Israelite people. Um, when Moses writes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You'll recognize these as the two great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. And then this part that we know and, and remember about family. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets on your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So this law, this, this understanding of the order of society, this whole covenantal reality that God brings the people of Israel into is something that's lived out in the household. It's something that governs and directs what family looks like. So we have from the very beginning, God establishing the family as a basic building block of society. We have in the Mosaic Law a fuller understanding of what family looks like. And even in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul brings forward this reality of life as a family as being still something that we need to attend to, something that we're responsible to. Paul writes to Timothy about the qualifications for an overseer. And this is something that he includes in those qualities. He says, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And then he adds, he must manage his own household well. 
with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So, this original created design, although it has been hindered and darkened and confused and distorted and broken by sin, remains to this day part of God's intended purpose for us, that we are to be fruitful and multiply and take dominion of the earth and promote an orderly society of God's image bearers in his creation. So that's our responsibility to the created order. But God is also doing something new. And as Christians, we have a responsibility to this new thing that God is doing. The Apostle Paul actually makes a connection between these two things when he talks about marriage in Ephesians 5. Let me read this passage for us. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Then Paul brings forward that text we just read, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he connects it. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So essentially what Paul is showing us is that the created order that God put in place from the beginning, by which we join together and form families and interconnected relationships of people into communities and societies, this original created order points to a greater, more glorious reality that Jesus Christ is bringing into existence. Did you catch that? This created order is pointing to a greater reality. And so we're going to talk in a minute about Abraham. But if you think about Abraham's life, God says to him, Abraham, at the time he was known as Abram, Abram, leave your father's house and your home Go to the land that I will show you, and I will bless you, right? That created order, but you will be a blessing, and in you, all the families on earth will be blessed. There's something greater that was to happen in Abram's life. So, as Christians, we also have an obligation to what God is doing, this new thing. And we find this most powerfully, most clearly in Jesus' teachings. In the first place, Jesus teaches there is no marriage in heaven. Matthew 22, Jesus says to the Sadducees that at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Secondly, discipleship in following Jesus means giving priority to Christ Jesus in our affections. So much so, Jesus says it like this. He teaches like this in Luke 14. When large crowds were traveling with him, 
Jesus turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is obviously relativizing all other affections. He's saying the the thing that must hold your heart the most is your affection for me. And then Jesus gives this new commandment. And this is really the heart of the new thing that God is doing. He says, love one another. John 15, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. This is my command, love each other. So Jesus is forming a new family, a bigger family, the family of God. He's calling us into that. Our families that we have formed as part of this created order point to this much greater, more glorious reality of what God is doing in bringing the body of Christ together, brothers and sisters forming the family of God. And as Christians, we have an obligation to that new reality. I want to mention briefly, Jesus also recognizes the created order. Even while on the cross, he provided for his mother by directing John, his disciple, to care for her. He also took care of Peter's mother-in-law and and Jesus showed disapproval of divorce laws in his teaching. So Jesus recognized that we have that obligation to the created order, but he's pointing us towards something new, the kingdom of heaven, a new reality. And I think the, the place where we see this most powerfully is in the book of Revelation. When John sees this multitude that really cannot be numbered, I think Revelation gives a number that's meant to show us it's too many to count. And there are people from every tribe and tongue and nation present, worshiping before the throne of God. And they still have their distinctive ethnicities. They're still identifiable as distinct peoples, but they're all together as one, the body of Christ. And so what God is doing, this new thing that God is doing, is He's broadening our understanding, our horizon, our our view of what family is to include the family of God. And what Jesus is calling us to is to love one another. Even as we would understand love in the context of our families. So in a moment, we'll bring this framework into the present and have some application. But first, I want to think in another kind of dimension, that of our, in, call it the inner life of our family in our homes, but then also the life that we experience in going out into our community and into uh, the world. So in this sense as well, Christians have obligations in two directions. One is to love and care and nurture uh, our families, our spouses, our children, those that are in our homes, our household, but then also to love our neighbors as ourselves. As I was thinking about this uh, dynamic or this uh, uh, dimension, I realized there's something of a tension in this. 
And I, I don't think that the tension is all attributable just to sin. I think there's a legitimate tension because these are distinct types of relationships. This, what, I, what I don't want to say is that these two things are at odds with one another. Really, loving our family and loving our neighbor are the same kind of thing. It's giving up the self-life to be one of God's children who loves others. But I think there is a tension that's crept in uh, and is maybe stronger because of what we experienced during COVID. And so I hope in thinking through this with you, we can unlearn some of the logic of COVID, what was seemed to me to be kind of a survival instinct that kicked in, that um, contradicted what I would call the gospel imperative. And so I'm not saying that loving our neighbor or loving our household are two different things. In fact, I think loving our house, uh, the people in our homes well and our families well, overflows into loving our neighbors. But I do want to acknowledge there is a tension in it. So let me uh, ask you to think with me for a minute, a minute about Abraham. In Genesis 12.1, the Lord says to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Abraham, we see that God chooses to make a covenant with a multi-generational family, a people from a common ancestor, and even to identify himself with this people as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So God is choosing to use a family to bring blessing to that family, but then also to the world. So think about this with me for just a moment. God's salvation comes through Abraham's seed. This is how God brings blessing through this family that he called for his purpose to even to us. This is what Paul writes in Galatians. In Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham has come to the Gentiles that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. So the Scriptures tell us that even for us who are Gentiles, not of that original family, not part of the family that God covenanted with, not a part of Israel, even so, that blessing has been extended to us for in Christ, we are sons and daughters of Abraham. Paul says this explicitly in Galatians 3, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So this blessing that was given to Abraham is dynamic. It's for everyone who believes and all who will come to believe. As Peter also preached at Pentecost when he said, the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. So this is the point. God has expanded the family He first called 
to bless all the peoples of the earth. That first family, the family through Abraham, he gave great and wonderful promises. And through Abraham came Jesus Christ, who has brought those blessings and that promise even to us and to all who believe, all those who become part of that family by faith. So here's my question. What do you think God wants to do through our families that have received the promise of salvation? Is it possible he wants to do a similar thing that he did through Abraham? Here's another question. What if the Western view of family has been distorted from the biblical view? Is it possible that we have acquiesced to the idea of a family of origin that is a mere springboard for the individual instead of a biblical view of a multi-generational family that God blesses in particular ways in order to bless many others around us? A friend of mine recently introduced me to a ministry called Family Teams. And whatever that name means, I don't maybe know in all of its fullness, but here's how they describe their ministry as a ministry to families. They say, our idea of family in the West is a failed experiment. Why? Mostly because we believe family only exists as a springboard for the individual. The individual is the most important thing. But what's interesting is no sports dynasty and no successful business have ever succeeded because of an individual. They succeeded because they were strong teams. And we think this is hidden in plain sight in Scripture as well. When God wanted to start the story and give a mission and an order, go, reign, rule, create, make beauty and order out of chaos, He didn't make an individual. He didn't start a nonprofit or get a board of directors. He created a family team, a multi-generational family team on mission, to be exact. And we believe recovering this paradigm is the key to a flourishing, powerful, life-giving family. What they're saying is our view of family needs to be broadened. We need to understand a more biblical view of multiple generations on mission together to reach people with the promise and blessing that was given to Abraham. So, as Christians, we have obligations to the created order and to the new things that God is doing in Jesus. And we also have obligations to the interior life of our families and our households as well as the purpose for family that God has put in place that we might take the blessings and promise of Abraham to our neighbors. So, now for some application to hopefully help us think this through as it relates to our daily life. In the first case, as Christians with responsibilities to the created order and the end times order, what we might call the eschatological order, we need to consider and think of family 
in view of our greater family, which is the family of God, the church. So I want to suggest a few thoughts here. First of all, are we in relationship with others in the church? The people that we call brothers and sisters, because in the final culmination of the kingdom, we will all be brothers and sisters in that one family of God. Those people that we call brothers and sisters, are we in relationship together? So a really simple way to get connected in relationship with one another here at this particular local church is through life groups. And I just want to use this as a moment to encourage you, if you're not in a life group, please join one. Please consider being a part of a life group this fall. We're going to, September 10th, we're going to have an easy way for you to connect for a brief time, so you're not making a huge commitment, six to eight week kind of commitment with a group to see how it goes. And um, I really encourage you to consider uh, joining a life group because that's a way to be in relationship with this family of God that, that Christ is bringing us into. Second thought, do we increasingly seek to love other people in the church, maybe especially those in our life groups, in a way that is similar to the way we love our families? Do we consider how the blessings and gifts that God has given to our families can spill over and bless the lives of others? I'm not just talking to people with boats. We all have gifts from God. God has granted all of us different types of blessing and gifts. And His purpose is for us to bring those blessings and gifts for the benefit of those in the body of Christ, the family of God. Third thought. I recently heard a pastor preach on a really intriguing dynamic in Scripture that I hadn't noticed before. And he talked about in the New Testament, there's a really interesting dynamic of a partnership between established households, families, in towns, and uh, singles, young people dedicated to the ministry. He used as his text Luke 9, 1-6. So this is Jesus sending out the disciples. Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, not even two tunics. And then this, whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. So Jesus is essentially saying, find a house, find a home, find a family that will support you and help you in your ministry. And that's exactly what they did. And all through Acts, you see the same kind of dynamic. The apostles are going to different towns and cities and families that live in those places, that are established in those places, are supporting their ministry and helping them. This is something we're endeavoring to do here at our church through the Fellows Program, uh, through other ministries. And I think it's something that speaks to this new family of God that Christ is forming in a powerful way. 
And so I encourage all of us to think about ways that we might partner as families and young people in, uh, in different seasons of life. So I think most of us intuitively understand our responsibility to family, even if imperfectly. But I want us to also consider how expanding our view of family to include the body of Christ informs how we go about caring for our own families. And one of the most, uh, one of the strongest examples in my mind as I think about what this can look like is a a mentor of mine from a few years back. Uh, My wife and I were living in Nicaragua and we got to know a missionary family there very well. And they would host different teams from the United States. They They were very much involved in different ministries in Nicaragua. And I was always amazed at how this couple were always seeming to bring more and more people in. They always were interested to draw more people into this whole dynamic of the family of God in such a relational and loving and caring way. And it was really beautiful to see. And not all of us are going to be called to have the same kind of dynamic that they had. But I think there's something powerful when we catch the vision of what God is doing to expand our view of the family to include the body of Christ. So that's the first dynamic, the created order to the eschatological order where God is forming a new family, the family of God. And then the second dynamic that we'll think about for just a minute as we consider how our family life is purposed to take this blessing and promise to our neighbors. So a few thoughts on this as well. When we think about loving our neighbors well, are we in relationship with our neighbors? Do we know their names? Have they entered our homes? Do we know enough about them that we can ask about their lives and pray for them? Do our neighbors know that we love God and that we care for them? Second thought, do we practice hospitality with our neighbors, inviting them into our lives and in our homes? and breaking bread together so that they know we are for them and want to do life with them. How about this? When conflict arises, do we take the humble approach and prefer to lose a dispute for the sake of a greater vision of seeing the kingdom of God come to our neighbor's homes? Third thought, do our children see that the gospel is the center of our homes? Do they see that people matter more than success or prosperity? Do they see us prioritize the kingdom of God sacrificially? And do they catch the vision of the gospel through our actions as it relates to our neighbors? Something I've pondered as well, thinking about this dynamic that God's calling us to, to take this promise, this hope of the gospel to our neighbors, is the idea of adventure. Uh, which I'm convinced we throw that word around way too much. In fact, I would suggest if your uh, adventure has an itinerary, it's not an adventure. But if we want adventure for our families, the gospel is the way to get there. Because adventure always entails risk. 
It always demands boldness and courage. And the gospel is going to take us into risky situations, even in our own homes. And we can start in our own homes and in our own neighborhood. But adventure is there with the gospel because God has a bigger vision. He has a broader horizon. He has a greater purpose. And so when we catch the vision of what God wants our families to be in taking this blessing of Abraham into the lives of our neighbors, and we're willing to run that risk with courage and trust God in it, I do think that's where we find adventure in this life. I'd like to pray for us, and then uh, Pastor Steve and Drew are going to lead us in communion this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You have a greater and broader vision for family. Lord, we intuitively know that, Lord, our families are important. They're significant. Lord, we, sh- we should love one another well in our families, and we try. Lord, we may fail often as well, and we thank You for Your grace to cover those failures. But Lord, I pray as well that You'd help us to broaden our view of what family is for, what it's about. Lord, that it's meant to point to a greater reality that You're doing, creating the family of God. That it's meant to show us that You have a purpose for, the, for our family life, which is to be in the world, Lord. Not of it, but in it. Sharing the good news and the hope of the Gospel with those who are currently living in darkness. Lord, I pray You'd help us catch this vision and live according to the way that You have called us, Lord, so that even the things we experience in our own homes would be full of Gospel promise and hope. Lord, that we would know forgiveness, that we would have the Gospel as the center of our homes, and that it would overflow into the lives of others by Your grace and mercy. Thank You for all this. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you.